0: All right, well, let's open in a word of prayer and we'll, we'll get started. Father, thank you for our time today, this opportunity once again to be together. Lord, we know that um, a lot happens as you allow it by circumstance in our life. A lot goes on and and uh, many things that we respond to in ways that we should not. We respond out of anxieties, fears, worries, And certainly we don't want to do that as believers. We know that we're to just trust you. And so we would ask that you'd give Jimmy strength to do that as he walks through this path you have brought his way. You would give Tina comfort in those things as well, that you would bring to their hearts and minds your word, and uh, that they could rest on those things. And Lord, we think about that even for our own lives, that we would trust you in all things. Um, It is It is what you have called us to do and uh, commanded us to do. And so we're thankful that you have given us the power to do that by your Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ and that you um, are honored when we trust you. So thank you for that. Ask your blessing upon Jimmy and Tina, the family, and our time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're returning to our. uh, Lesson number three, you should have notes. If you don't have notes, there are some in the back. You can pick up another copy. Um, It's a rather lengthy lesson that we've kind of been going through over the last couple weeks. We spent time talking about the very thing we were just praying about, and that is the challenge between trust and fear. Trust and fear. God is a sober God. Uh, with God. There is no frivolity. There is no foolishness in of those kinds of ways. A sober God, what God says he means, what God says he expects uh, us to do. What God says happens, just as he says it will happen. His word is absolute truth. And so when we open the scriptures, of particularly the verse that we were hanging our thoughts on last time in Proverbs 3, the whole idea of trusting in the Lord with our whole heart. A heart that is unsplit, or not split if you will, it doesn't have multiple loves, it doesn't have one love that is equal with our love for the Lord, but we're to trust the Lord with our whole heart, and you can see yourself doing that when, in fact, you're not leaning on your own understanding. That doesn't mean you don't act according to your thoughts, but you have to have your thoughts in line with what the Word of God teaches, with what it says. And so we're not leaning on our own makeup, our own understanding, but we're leaning on the wisdom and truth of God, and therefore in all of our ways acknowledge Him and he fulfills and does exactly what he has promised to do, and our paths are straight. That equates to not being wise in your own eyes. <clears throat> not being wise in your own eyes, which is the beginning of wisdom, right? Fear the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. And that's what verse 7 of Proverbs 3 says Fear the Lord, turn away from evil because that will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. So when it comes to discipleship relationships, that's where we are to live. We are to live in that area of trusting God. Study the scriptures so that we can learn the biblical principles for every area of life. Uh, ask questions that will help us be wise in applying those principles to our lives and then learn from others, learn from other skillful Christians, those who are practiced in doing just those things. So we trust God. We don't trust in those other things, we trust God and what He says. So that's one of the challenges we have when it comes to discipleship, this whole reality between trust and fear. We have to not fear, we have to be motivated by a trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, I recommended you read Trusting God by Jerry Bridges. A good book. If you have not read it in the past, maybe you have, maybe you have it already. You just go back to it and refer to those things and trust God in your parenting and in your discipleship relationships. Well, we want to move on to the second challenge, which is keeping the right focus. Keeping the right focus. Um Turn to Matthew chapter 22 really quickly this morning, just to kind of give a foundation to this whole principle. Matthew 22, of course, Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees on a continual basis and the Sadducees, those who said they knew the law. And Jesus says in verse 37 you shall love your the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. For on these two commandments depends the whole law and the prophets. Basically the foundation of the entire Old Testament and the outworking of those principles is the New Testament, so the entire Scriptures are founded on these two principles. Love God and love your neighbor. Now, if you go over to Matthew 23, you see really Jesus' condemnation of the scribes and the Pharisees and how they lived, what they did. These are the people who are supposed to be discipling others. And they, Jesus says to the people... The scribes and the Pharisees in verse 1, having seated themselves in the chair of Moses, therefore all that they tell you, do it and observe, but do not do it according to their deeds. For they say things and do not do them. And what do they do? They tie up heavy loads and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. So you have this contrast going on with the principles that Jesus had just given in the previous chapter. Love, your, love the Lord with your whole heart and your neighbor as yourself. And here they are saying, I love the Lord God, and yet certainly aren't expressing their love toward one another in any kind of way except making life harder. Well, I, I bring that up as a foundational thing because that's sometimes what we do when we are parents or in discipleship relationships. We become like Pharisees. We become like those who say a lot of words and yet we, we create systems. We create um, additional answers or, or more answers than what the Bible actually calls for. So we create systems by which we we decide to live, try to live, and others in the same way because we go back to the previous principle, we fear or we're frustrated. And so we we create methods for our own discipleship and methods for our own parenting that are really pharisaical. They're really heavy loads, burdens placed upon even our own children. And oftentimes when we do that, if we have some outward success as we might define it, we become, uh, we, we get this false sense of confidence. We start to convince ourselves that we actually are doing the right thing because after all, look at my life. My life seems to be okay and we substitute the things of God, the things of the Word of God, the faithful application of the Word of God, we substitute all of that with our own pharisaical system that seems to be producing everything that we want to produce or everything that makes us comfortable. So we have a a wrong focus. In parenting and discipleship, what the Pharisees were doing is making The following after God, this idea of religion, and we do this in the Christian faith, we make the Christianity sometimes when we think about it more complicated than it needs to be. And we do that in parenting. We make parenting this complicated system, or even discipleship regardless, this complicated system that we have to follow A, B, C, D, we we find products and books and things like that that give us the answers to a b c d whatever that might be in our minds and we rather than turning to god and therefore we create this complicated system that we have to follow in order to get a product that we've decided must be produced and this happens all over the place in the in the evangelical community in the christian community we do it with evangelism right you some of us think we 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 can't evangelize somebody because we've never gone through an evangelism class. We don't know the four spiritual laws or the Romans Road or whatever other program that's out there called evangelism. We don't know the master's way or whatever. And so we think we we can't evangelize. I can't tell somebody because what if I get a question I can't answer? What if somebody does something that, that I don't, that's outside the program? Rather than simply just telling people like the guy in John chapter 9, I, I don't know what happened. All I know is I was blind and I see in Jesus is the one who did it. We do it in counseling. We do it in, you know, if you don't pray this certain way or at this certain time or in this kind of thing, then you're not a real good Christian. And we make it more complicated than it has to be. But it is rather simple. It is rather simple this whole idea of discipleship, this whole idea of raising children, and it's really based upon the principle that we looked at from the very beginning, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4. It's not simplistic, but it is simple. Right? Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's the simple principle. Now that has implications that are far in reaching in all kinds of areas, but that's the principle. You want to know how to parent? There you go. You want to know how to disciple? There you go. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So challenges that come up when it comes to our parenting only are there in order to help us be dependent upon God. Right. God allows circumstances in our life. He even orchestrates circumstances according to his providence. And those circumstances are meant to cause us, to help us be dependent upon him and not ourselves. Not on our own little systems, not our own little pharisaical ways in which we create systems to to live by. Now, I'm going to give you the secret to the Christian life. You want to know what the secret is to the Christian life? Everybody wonders that. What's the secret to this thing called Christianity? I'm going to give it to you. Ready? Here it is. Simple dependence upon God. That's the secret to the Christian life. In every area of your life, every waking moment, simple dependence upon God and His Word. That's it. doesn't matter what area of life you're thinking about. Whether it's your parenting, whether it's discipleship relationship with somebody else, whether it's work, whether it's your finances, whether it's marriage, whether whatever it is. Simple dependence upon God and His Word. That's the silver bullet of the Christian life. You don't have to find that in a book somewhere. God has given it to us. It's called His Word. So So, when it comes to challenges in the Christian life, when it comes to these challenges with our discipleship relationships, um, having the right focus is key. Having the right focus is key. We need to be focused on what is right, and that's the Word of God. Well, there's another focus to keep in mind. There's another focus to keep in mind, and it's this that Our discipleship relationships, um, biblical discipleship allows for a variety of ways to apply biblical truth. When you think about your own, you parents who have kids still in the home, you think about your own parenting, or you grandparents who, who spend a lot of time with your grandkids and you think about trying to help out in those ways. We have to remember that When we think about biblical parenting, it allows for a lot of different ways to apply biblical truth. In other words, there's not just one way to to bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And your way is the right way, and everybody else who doesn't follow that way can't be good Christian parents, and oh, I can't believe they do what they do, you know, because we wouldn't do that. This is the way it's supposed to be done. No, when we deal with matters not specifically addressed in Scripture, okay, we talked about these um, when we were going through Romans, right? Areas not specifically directly commanded in Scripture, not addressed in Scripture, we have to be governed by love, right? Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God and your love your neighbor, so love has to be this principle that operates all the time in those things, as Galatians 5.13 even says, and then defer yeah, the principle of deference um, to others, right? Because our personal preferences, that's really what they are when it comes to these areas. Remember I said when we were studying through Romans that not every issue is a gray area issue? Remember I said that? we sometimes elevate it to those things because we make it a spiritual issue. That if you're not doing that, you must not be a good Christian or you're not doing what God requires of you. We make them those issues. But Paul was speaking of specifics there. People had highlighted the idea of meat being sacrificed to idols as this big spiritual issue. If you eat meat, sacrificed to idols, you're not following after God. But the meat itself wasn't the issue. It was the conscience of those people in reference to those things. So not every issue is a gray-hairy issue, and our personal preferences are just that, our personal preferences. That doesn't mean they're inherently wrong, and it certainly doesn't mean they're inherently right. The problems come in when we equate those things with biblical directives. That's where the problems come in. We elevate our personal preferences to the height of being scripture I remember when I was in seminary, <clears throat> I had one professor that we were talking, it was a theology professor, and we were dealing with theological issues, and he said, well, you can think that way on that theological issue, but, but when you do that, you're stepping outside the leather. And what he meant was, when you're doing that, you're going outside what the Bible says. You're outside the leather. He says, you're out here somewhere. He said, I'm not saying it's sinful, it's an opinion, but your opinion is your opinion. It's a personal preference, it's an opinion you have. It isn't biblical, it isn't God's word. We have to stay within the leather, and sometimes as Christians we have a hard time with that because we've elevated our opinions to be biblical rather than simply what they are, opinion." Tim would know it well, as I do, being from a master's seminary, one prof used to say all the time to us, you can do that, but I'm not going to do that. He was simply saying to us, yeah, that's not sinful, but I'm not so sure it's profitable. Well, that's how I think we have to think. There's not just one way. So when we look at other people, there's a variety of ways of applying biblical truth. So in your own home and in your own discipleship relationships, what kind of uh, etiquette you use in the home is your freedom. You have your freedom to apply that as God would have. But your way doesn't mean it's the biblical way. And when someone else doesn't do things the way you do it in your home, you can't say to other people, well, that's not Christian, unless it's clear from Scripture that it's sinful. But we do that, don't we? We do that, I mean, we, especially when it comes to Christian parenting. When we look at other parents and we are eyeing each other and we're saying we're looking at how their kids are and how their kids dress and how their kids respond and how their kids deal with things, and we start to say, "Man, I, I man, they are really bad, or which is just simply saying, I'm really good. We should not be doing that. Right? I, I mean, I remember when our kids were younger in the home, they used to go to friends' houses with church, uh, church friends or whatever, and come home and then complain to us about something they got to do there, but we weren't letting them do at our house. And, well, how come so-and-so gets to do this? That's what they used to say to us from time to time. And we'd say, well, they, they can do that. They have the freedom to do that. But in our home, we're not going to do that. And here's why. And we'd give a reason whatever that reason was, So when you have your own home, you can make those choices as you will. But right now you're in our home. We get to make those choices. Any of you parents struggle with that or have felt that or seen that? I mean, let's be honest. Some of you are smiling, kind of chuckling, but Jason's head's going up and down. Yeah, Who's the worst, Jason? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just don't let the kids out What's that? Just don't
1: let the kids out the
0: house. Exactly. Tie them up, you know. You know, somebody used to say to me sometimes, I used to kid, but they used to say, how, how, how do you do, deal with your children? I said, duct tape with a straight face, you know, they'd be <laughs> like, really? <laughs> a wonderful tool, you know, you tie them up they tie you
1: up.
0: exactly. If you don't tie them up, they're going to tie you up and put you in the pot. Yeah, Colin. That's true. There there's a need for dialogue and and um I think you would do well if you could use do as I say not just do it because I said so and it, hap- and, it and it's good up to 13. That that's great, Colin. Like exactly. <laughs> just say hey, like six, Tim, you were really good to follow your father like that. You know? Cuz yeah, back
1: Right. we've decided in our home that we're not going to do this but I can't open up and say that say
0: it' first Corinthians. right because
1: a lot of that is you know just the way that we've chosen to raise our family and the, and the things that we're not allowing in at this time right and and just because someone else allowed it into their house didn't mean that um, that they were sinning or or that we were the unfun parents so um often explaining it to your children is is an understanding of we're making these decisions for you now um, because this we've just chosen that to participate in it. But there's a, you know, ever since time began, I'm sure there's there's a um a, a sizing up within, you know, they do
0: Or less I think it goes even more so, they're less spiritual because they don't or because they do do that.
1: Sadly, it's, not even, um, it's not even said it's
0: just an unspoken um, looking down the nose of one
1: another in the church you know, <clears throat> um, I mean there's a lot of areas that that, that covers
0: I mean, <laughs> and when you're when you're explaining those things. To your young disciples in the home, you have to ensure that you're explaining them in such a way that you're not implying that those families are less spiritual than you are. You know, that there is a freedom that we have that God has given us in certain things. And yet, here's the reason why we're applying that. Oftentimes, parents uh, who say, uh, just do what I said, aren't doing that because there's a danger, immediate danger, and they don't have time to explain it, or there's some reason why they don't have time to explain it. They're just doing that because they don't have a reason why they're doing it. It's inconvenient for them, for that child to ask, or whatever, and so they just say, listen, I said it, so do it. But they don't really know why they're doing it. And so you have to check your heart before the Word of God, Russ. You to do, I'll tell you what not to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You no, know, um, you know, it's just talking
1: about these things of preference, it's very, I think it's very important when you back to understand your own thinking very clearly as to why you might say no or yes. And um, you know, and I think what you're doing is you're developing a trust in your kids to say, you know, we have we want to point them to our father, my deep father, of all so I think it's important to teach them in such a way that they can trust you, even though you may not, you may not understand. But you're, you're trying to develop that I trust the Father. You know, Israel. God told them all kinds of things to do. He never told them why. He didn't always tell them why, but that they could trust Him. Looking back, that He was a good Father who who cared for Israel and He cares for us. And We don't know all the answers. The secret things belong to God, right? But we trust Him. And we can trust Him. So I think tell my kids, you know what, this is why, this is what we're doing, and just trust me. you have to trust me. I haven't, you know, I haven't made this long, well, not all, <laughs> for the most part we've been faithful as parents, if we are and have been, and so they can learn a great deal from the unknowns that we don't know about, we Can't because you know, they're going to they're gonna find out when they get older, and if we've been hypocr- hypocrites about uh, just do it because I said so, you know, they're going to
0: exactly. And I think that's one of the, one of the goals we have to always, look, just to piggyback on what you said, keep in mind when we are, we, we want our children to know that the God we're telling them about, in, in other words, why we're doing what we're doing is the same God that has an effect upon our life in those things. So that when when an explanation is necessary, they know it's not just "Hey, this I, I'm I, I'm the king in this castle; you do what I say." But rather, God's the king here, and we submit to Him. And so, I've processed the rules, I, or I processed what God said. process my role as a father and a leader in this home, and here's how I'm processing that out. I want God to be effective in all of these things, and I have a responsibility to shepherd your heart, all that kind of stuff. They need to see that God has a rule in your life. Far too often, our our kids grow up and they see a hypocrisy that is disdaining. None of us like hypocrisy. None of us like it. I mean, just look at the news. I mean, this year has been filled with a lot of hypocrisy, and we just kind of get nauseated by it, even though we all are at times hypocrites. But we know as parents and grandparents that our kids can pick that out in a second. They know if this Word of God has effect and power in my heart. They know if I'm willing to say I'm sorry when I did something wrong, or if I only required it of them. Because that's what the Bible says. You you need to go and and make things right. Well, you never do. I see you and mom fight all the time and you guys never do. You see what I'm saying? There's a hypocrisy there and what we're trying to say to them is listen, these rules that we have in our home are based upon a processing of the truth. A processing of the truth. That the God we're saying, trying to point you to like Russ was saying, is the very God that has its it's ultimate voice, His ultimate voice in my life. That's the authority. I'm not trying to make my particular choices this this statue for myself and and then throwing some Christianized words on them, so now it's Christianized. My, My own personal preferences are these Christianized things that I have created because all I'm doing is what Matthew 23 says, I'm just being a Pharisee. I'm just being a Pharisee. And Jesus called the Pharisees what? Hypocrites? Woe to you hypocrites. Because you say this, but you don't do it. That's the same thing in the home. It's the same thing in the home. So that's one of the challenges. One of the challenges, don't don't turn our our, our way of doing things into some kind of principle that the Bible doesn't speak about. Don't look down your nose at other families who might be doing something And be able to give your children why it is you do what you do, not just I said so. That works. That works, like Colin said, to a certain age, because it's not the moment where explanations are needed or necessary or even could be understood at the level it needs to be understood. But there will come a day when you have to now give those explanations so you better know what they are. Otherwise, your hypocrisy is right there in front. All right, let's do a third. Let's get this third focus that we have to keep in mind and that is that there are no we've we've kind of touched on this already. There are no quick fixes. There are no quick fixes. All right? We short-term solutions are are oftentimes what we're looking for in a particular issue, but but really discipleship regardless of the relationship, be it in the home or otherwise, is a a life-on-life-for-a-lifetime relationship. Life-on-life-for-a-lifetime. That means we who have grandkids are not finished in the process of discipleship. We can't just sit back and go, okay, I'm done. No, you're not. Just a different way. It's a different different area, different perspective, uh, but you're not done discipling. If you have no kids, you're not done discipling because you have relationships in with others in your own family. If you're married, you have a wife or a husband, and you're discipling them. So it's, it's a life on life for a lifetime, and therefore the focus is to be the long term, not the short term. It's the long haul. Perseverance, Galatians 6-9 talks about. It's a process. So we have to persevere in teaching our children as Ephesians 6.4 says. We have to persevere in our own personal disciplines and in the disciplining of our children as we'll get into in a further lesson. We have to persevere in praying continuously about an issue. So, so just survey your own thoughts, your own heart as you think about your own life. Do I look for in your own Christian life? Do I look for instant relief when there's some kind of problem, some kind of irritation, some kind of bad habit in my own life or in my children's life? Do I look for instant relief in those things? Do I seek quick fixes? Or am I willing to to so trust God stay in the stay in the struggle stay in the the trial if you will because it's more about the heart issue than it is about the outworking issue it's more about their heart developing that right love the lord your god with all your outward behaviors make sure you show it in all your outward behaviors no with your whole heart because out of the heart flows the wellsprings of life. So that's where we deal. There's no instant relief in that. I've always thought, man, Lord, why didn't you just make it so that we could just sleep on our pillow and be the most mature Christians we could be the next morning? Now well, God's designed it. That doesn't create dependence upon Him. That just creates robots. God wants dependent people who love him and trust him from the heart. And so if you'll pray for, prayerfully take time to get to the heart of the issue, that's where character developed. That's where character developed. It's easy to train a Pharisee. It's hard to train somebody with character. Why? Because it takes time. And we like quick fixes. We like quick fixes. What frustrates us sometimes by the Latin American communities, because Latin American communities are all about the relationship more than they are about the time involved. And so you make an appointment with somebody in a Latin American community and say, I'll see you tomorrow at 2 o'clock. And they're not there at 2 o'clock because they're dealing with some other relationship that they're in prior to that, and it takes, they, they just don't leave until it's finally ready to go. So they show up at 5 o'clock. And, and from our American perspective, we're going, well, wait a minute, that's, that's rude. You shouldn't have done that. You should have whatever. But it's, ju- it's because of how they think about relationships. Relationships take time. You have to spend time. There's no quick fix. In fact, go back to the Old Testament for a moment, just really quickly, another passage, I think it's in your thing, but Deuteronomy 6, this is the principle by which we train our children. God telling Israel, Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way. And when you lie down, and when you rise up, and you'll, you shall bind them as a sign in your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now well, what's God saying? The priority is to have my word in front of you all the time. That's the priority. The principles, the truth of the word of God is to be on our minds and our hearts all the time. Right that's the idea that's the idea So it's for the long haul when you rise up when you lie down when you walk by the way in every area of life all the milieu of life as you're going through life the word of god is to be right there right there right there Galatians 6, 9 says, and let us not lose heart in doing good for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. So even when little Johnny or little Mary or little Fred or whatever doesn't seem to be getting it, you continue to do it because God said to do it. Tim. Uh, it's interesting when you look back at that
1: passage in Deuteronomy. Yeah. Um, Obviously, that is God communicating to Moses to the the nation of Israel preparing to go on to conquest the land. Mm -hmm. And when you fast forward to the book of Judges, at the end of the, um, or in the second chapter of the book of Judges, at this point, um, it says all that generation were gathered to their fathers. So that's the generation of the conquest. That's the generation that Moses was speaking to in Deuteronomy. That That generation dies away, and it says there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord for the work that he had done for Israel, and the people of Israel did what was evil on the side of the Lord and served the Baal. They abandoned the Lord. Uh, that, I, I think that is a direct indication that they didn't do what right. we're talking about in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And what you see is the result of a failure to do that, is that quite literally everyone does what is right now they did not fundamentally know the Lord, or even the things that the God had done for Israel. It was foreign to them. And so they just did whatever was subjectively right, and I think you see that today, that people do not know the Lord or what the Lord has done for them, and so they just do whatever seems right to them.
0: No acknowledgement of God at all. And again, it goes back to the idea of results, right? We, we don't control the results right? So it's not about, I'm going to do this so that the nation will obey, or so that this family will be righteous and seen as righteous. The issue is an individual issue between us and God, right? In other words, God's the one who gets all the praise for any success and and. And we are held accountable for our failure to be dependent upon God individually. And so we what we are teaching our children what we are teaching our families is not, hey listen, if you do it this way there'll be this product at the end that you will receive and so you become this Pharisee and everybody who doesn't do it, you see what I mean? It's the issue of my heart before the Lord. I'm going to do what God has called me to do Simply because God has called me to do it and that honors him. Now God has made promises, right? Trust in the Lord with your heart. This this will be straight pass for you and all these other kind of promises that God has made. But the guarantee, the, the reality of that is not to do it in order to have a certain result. The, order, the reason to do that is simply because it honors God. It shows that we love God with our whole heart, mind, and strength. We have to be careful because there's a subtle balance there. Because, right, was it was it the parents of Israel and their disobedience, was it their fault that their children were that way? That the children did what was right in their own eyes? Was it their fault? No, when they stand before God, he's going to say, why didn't you follow me? Well, my parents never told me about you. The parents are going to be held accountable for that. But God put it in the heart of man to know him, right? So there's a responsibility there individually. That's my point. My point is our kids cannot rise up one day and say, well, gosh, I don't know God because, in other words, you are the reason. Now, I may be a contributing factor to that. God has given me responsibility and requirements to do that. But the product of them knowing God is them before God. That's all I'm trying to get at, Susan. Right. And Eve said, well, it's not my fault. right. It's a serpent that deceived me. Right. In the end, each of us are responsible for the action based upon the information we're given. We're responsible. Ted Bundy, who killed multiple people, is not excused from that because, really, in a literal sense, his father put cigarettes out on his arm when he was a kid. And I say, Judge, I I, I killed these people because my father treated me abusively. Agreed, your father treated you abusively, but that does not give you the right to treat others abusively and to make that choice. How many of you are first Christians in your family? Look at all the hands. Were your parents responsible for that? You grew up in a in a home that didn't know God. And yet here you are, Christian. We don't blame our parents for that, but we blame them for all the bad things. We can see we can't do that. We have a responsibility. So... Yes, it's true. Judges that those people did what was right in their eyes, and there's a there's a there's a a reality that that some of those families, and maybe even categorically, those families didn't do what Deuteronomy six said, and they'll be held accountable for not doing what Deuteronomy six said. But everybody out the outcome of that will be held responsible individually, and that. That pendulum, we have to be careful because that pendulum swings both directions, right? That we can we can get to the place where we go, okay, well, you know what? The heck with it. I'm, I'm not going to even do anything because the outcome's already, it is what it is, and I'm not going to be held responsible for the outcome because I don't want to be a results-oriented parent. Or we can go the other direction and become a Pharisee. So we have to keep the balance. We have to just say, look, I'm going to do what God wants me to do because it honors God. It honors God. Let God deal with the results of all that. So, so being a disciple or a biblical disciple or a biblical parent understands the limitations of that influence. It understands the limitations of that influence. We have influence, but we cannot control the results. God does that. God does that. God's the one who completes the work. So our responsibility is just like we said a few weeks ago, just to be faithful, do what we know is right, do what we know the Word of God says, be convinced, convicted about that, do what's right, and do it with the right motives. Right? We can't change the heart of our children. We can't change the heart of a disciple. God does that. God does that. Does that by His Spirit working with the through the Word of God in accordance with His perfect will? God does that. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Right? It's the Word of God. It's the power of God unto salvation. So we don't do that. We just need to live the Word, teach the Word, and ultimately our disciples are responsible and accountable to God. It's hard to do, especially when they're choosing not to follow the instruction they've been given. That's really hard to do. Because we have a tendency to say, well, it's not working. I've done that, but it doesn't work. I mean, this is the whole issue I brought up before about church discipline and churches today and evangelical churches today saying we're not, we don't do church discipline because it doesn't work. It doesn't work. No, God's not inter- God's the one who handles whether it works or not, whatever that means. The fact of the matter is, it's commanded. It's commanded in Scripture. So we do it because God commanded us to, not because it works, not because there'll be a certain result. Right? There are churches today, there are evangelicals today saying, you don't need to preach, it doesn't work. We're beyond that. We're modern society. I mean, people aren't interested in preaching anymore, so don't preach. Or shrink it down to nothing. Well, whether anybody ever got saved or not from preaching, or or anybody ever learned anything or not from preaching, we preach. Why? Because God said, preach the word. He didn't say, preach it because when you do, I'm going to produce all these kinds of results and therefore you preach. And man, the better preacher you are, the more results you get and all this kind of stuff. He didn't say that. He said, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. In fact, preaching foolishness to the world. It's the same with parenting. We parent, we do what we do because it's the right thing to do. And we're going to give account for ourselves for what we do before God. So we've talked about right motivation, we've talked about the right focus. Now let's talk about the right balance. The balance. Every issue in life is an issue whereby we need balance. We need to have not be overboard in one direction or another. And it's easy to be out of balance. And so what do we want to watch for? What do we want to watch for? Well, we want to be balanced in this idea of what is external and what is internal. External and what is internal. Let's read this quote from Ted Tripp's book, Shepherding Your Child's Heart, page 21. Do you have it in your notes? Shepherding a Child's Heart? No, is it there? Okay. Well, here it is. On page 21, a parent can simply focus on the external justice and fairness involved in a fight over a toy and simply decide who had it first or get to watch uh, or get a watch to time them each for a turn. That might help a 2-year-old whose reasoning is limited. But children need to be patiently and lovingly led to learn to give up their rights and prefer others in love, not just take turns. So there's there's an example of having a balance between the externals and the internals, right? In a small kind of way, in a little problem in the home. You got kids fighting over something, and that's what we typically do. Who had it first? Okay, you get it. You know, that's quick fix easy, gets the trouble beyond us. It's not long-term focused vision on the heart. It's all about, it's all about. listen, whoever's quickest to the item gets it. How many of you have done that with your kids with food, right? There's a piece of cake or something, and you say, okay, this is for both of you, and it, and it isn't cut yet. And we say, okay, you cut it. We give them the privilege to cut it because the one wants the bigger piece, right? So they make sure they get their little measure. Around. I mean, they're trying to be exact. All we're doing is saying, listen, you know, see who's selfish rather than to say that's the piece you get. Be thankful that the Lord gave you any. You know, prefer the other one or we try to express our we get a little older and we try to express our supposed humility and somebody cuts something and there's a bigger piece and other ones. We go, ah, I'll take the smaller one. Smaller. <laughs> don't we do that? It's Kind of funny. Our hearts may be right. I don't know, but it's just a funny dynamic in the, in the world and how we think. Well, our kids do that all the time. Again, we don't want to train Pharisees. We we'll only look on the outside were well, the outside's clean. Well, I gave this. Well, I did this. I followed all these little dynamic rules. I must be good. No. Pharisees were outside clean, but inwardly they were corrupt. So we, we don't want to have a balance. We don't want to equate adherence to some external requirement with, with an internal change of heart. This happens in evangelism a lot, right? If you you hear it sometimes in, in the whole issue of easy believism, if you sign this card, if you come forward, if you pray this prayer, if you do all this stuff, then you're a Christian. The external act is equated as if it's this internal change. That's not necessarily true. How many of us know people who have professed Jesus at one point, but now walk? as if they don't know Jesus. We don't want to do that. We don't want to have these external regulations be equated with an internal assumption of reality. Um, Because in one sense, external things, external controls have very little to do or even nothing to do with the final outcome of what's going on in the heart. Right? Paul was very outwardly religious, wasn't he? I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, I mean I am the guy. When it comes to the law, I am blameless. Nobody can point a finger at me and say you're not doing it right. Externally, everything was all things were banging. Yet internally he was as dead as the next guy. So we can't equate those externals with internals. We have to have a balance in that. We have to be careful with that. Just watch yourself. Watch watch how you think about that. Challenge yourself in those things. Are you equating the externals with internal reality? When your children profess faith in Christ, are you immediately assuring them that they're saved or are you saying okay, now let's Begin to walk and grow and see a growth in the Lord because sanctification happens over time. You know, um, sometimes that's our goal. We just want little Johnny or Harry or Mary or whatever to pray a prayer and we get them to pray a prayer. I know my wife has taught kids for years down in Sunday school here and other places, and, and inevitably you can ask a, a class of her kids. To say, does anybody want to go to heaven? Does everybody want to go to heaven and every kid will raise their hand? Of course they do. Well then pray this prayer. Every one of them would pray. I mean, they're saved. It's the same with with rules and things like that in the home. So we want to be careful with that. Uh, Secondly, we want to have a balance between freedom and responsibility. Freedom and responsibility. There was a, when I was a kid, my father, as we were growing up as kids, used to, used to talk about privilege and uh, responsibility. In other words, with greater responsibility or with greater privilege came greater responsibility. And I remember my kids when they were younger, oftentimes would say, but dad, don't you trust me? And I would say to them oftentimes, well, I trust you to do certain things, but there are other things I don't trust you to do particularly before they got to be able to drive and things like that, they would say certain things about, don't you trust me? I said, well, yeah, I trust you to be able to shower yourself and clean up your own room, but I don't trust you to drive the car because you don't have the responsibility. You're not trained in that yet. So there's a balance between those things, this freedom to do things with responsibility that comes with that. Don't be too quick to give freedom. Don't we'll be too quick to give freedom. You know, my my wife grew up in a home where she had far too much freedom far too early as a kid. Partly because the home was a, basically a broken place and she came home to an empty house and basically could do whatever she wanted at a very, very young age. Uh, we don't want that. We want to be there uh, so that we can teach our children self-control, demonstrate responsibility, extend privileges where there is a provenness of handling the responsibility. Remember when I was a kid, when I grew up, my parents always had a rule in the house. You, you, my bedtime was like 9 o'clock at night, 9 o'clock at night. And I always wanted to stay up as long as I could. Oh, Can't I just run my own bedtime? And my dad said, okay, when you turn 12, you can go to bed bed anytime you want. I think it was 12. And it was funny because I always thought I wanted to stay up late, and, and when I got the privilege, I went to bed at 9 uh, o'clock. That's how it works sometimes, right? You want something, you think it's better than it really is, and it's not what you think. And so you just evolve, revert back to the what you've been taught. So don't get freedom too early. Again, this is balance, right? Don't get freedom too early, but don't be overbearing either. Don't be overbearing. They have to have some freedom. We heard a lot of terms today, helicopter parents. Um, not letting somebody fail. You're always there to catch them when they fail because they, you don't want them to fail, so they never get to learn by their failures. They need to learn from their mistakes. Well, we're basically out of time. Any questions before we end? I know there's a lot of material in this, a lot of things we could talk about. We could probably spend hours on either one of these. I'm just trying to move us along because we got a lot to cover still and uh, much going on. Uh, Let me just give you the quick answers for the rest of this chapter. Uh, There's a balance between friendship and authority. I think authority is a blank for you to fill in there under number three. And number four is the last one, which is on number four is uh, major, the major issues and the minor issues. You have to balance between those major issues and minor issues. And number five is uh soul focus, parenting as the soul focus of the Christian life, rather than parenting as the as an aspect, important aspect of the Christian life. All right. Any questions? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for our time this morning. I know it's gone quick, Lord. We we so appreciate how you're teaching us, Lord. We're thankful that we can talk about these things and be challenged in our own heart as to our own discipleship. Lord, may we be committed to, to love you with our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole strength, show that by how we live, uh, challenging ourselves where we need to be challenged and allowing those things to flow out in our life. that we might learn and that we might be able to share with others what we're learning and how uh, God is teaching us to be just like Christ. We thank you for this. Bless our time this morning in our worship together. In Jesus' name, amen.